Audio File 7 of the Mueller Report. Volume 2. Summary and Legal Basis for the Investigation. Report on the Investigation into Russian Interference in the 2016 Presidential Election. Volume 2 of 2. Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller, III. Washington, D.C., March 2019. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, it is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's, it's time, time to, to speak out. out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We won't be that. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, yes we, we can. can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is... What will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless America. Beginning in 2017, the President of the United States took a variety of actions towards the ongoing FBI investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election and related matters that raised questions about whether he had obstructed justice. The order appointing the special counsel gave this office jurisdiction to investigate matters that arose directly from the FBI's Russia investigation, including whether the president had obstructed justice in connection with Russia-related investigations. The special counsel's jurisdiction also covered potentially obstructive acts related to the special counsel's investigation itself. This volume of our report summarizes our obstruction of justice investigation of the president. We first described the considerations that guided our obstruction of justice investigation, and then provide an overview of this volume. First, a traditional prosecution or declination decision entails a binary determination to initiate or decline a prosecution, but we determined not to make a traditional prosecutorial judgment. The Office of Legal Counsel OLC, has issued an opinion finding that the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would impermissibly undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions in violation of the constitutional separation of powers. 
Given the role of the special counsel as an attorney in the Department of Justice and the framework of the special counsel regulations, see 28 U.S.C. 515, 28 CFR 600. 7. Uh, this office accepted OLC's legal conclusion for the purpose of exercising prosecutorial jurisdiction. And apart from OLC's constitutional view, we recognize that a federal criminal accusation against a sitting president would place burdens on the president's capacity to govern and potentially preempt constitutional processes for addressing presidential misconduct. Second, while the OLC opinion concludes that a sitting president may not be prosecuted, it recognizes that a criminal investigation during the president's term is permissible. The OLC opinion also recognizes that a president does not have immunity after he leaves office. And if individuals other than the president committed an obstruction offense, they may be prosecuted at this time. Given those considerations, the facts known to us, and the strong public interest in safeguarding the integrity of the criminal justice system, we conducted a thorough factual investigation in order to preserve the evidence when memories were fresh and documentary materials were available. Third, we considered whether to evaluate the conduct we investigated under the Justice Manual Standards governing prosecution and declination decisions, but we determined not to apply an approach that could potentially result in a judgment that the President committed crimes. The threshold step under the Justice Manual Standards is to assess whether a person's conduct constitutes a federal offense. U.S. Depot of Justice, Justice Manual 9-27 220, 2018, Justice Manual. Fairness concerns counseled against potentially reaching that judgment when no charges can be brought. The ordinary means for an individual to respond to an accusation is through a speedy and public trial, with all the procedural protections that surround a criminal case. An individual who believes he was wrongly accused can use that process to seek to clear his name. In contrast, a prosecutor's judgment that crimes were committed, but that no charges will be brought, affords no such adversarial opportunity for public name clearing before an impartial adjudicator. The concerns about the fairness of such a determination would be heightened in the case OFA sitting president, where a federal prosecutor's accusation OFA crime, even in an internal report, could carry consequences that extend beyond the realm of criminal justice. OLC noted similar concerns about sealed indictments. Even if an indictment were sealed during the president's term, OLC reasoned, it would be very difficult to preserve an indictment's secrecy, and if an indictment became public, the stigma and opprobrium could imperil the president's ability to govern. Although a prosecutor's internal report would not represent a formal public accusation akin to an indictment, the possibility of the report's public disclosure and the absence of a neutral adjudicatory forum to review its findings counseled against potentially determining that the person's conduct constitutes a federal offense. Fourth, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, however, we are unable to reach that judgment. The evidence we obtained about the President's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining that no criminal conduct occurred. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the President committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. This report on our investigation consists of four parts. Section I provides an overview of obstruction of justice principles and summarizes certain investigatory and evidentiary considerations. 
Section 2 sets forth the factual results of our obstruction investigation and analyzes the evidence. Section 3 addresses statutory and constitutional defenses. Section IV states our conclusion. For that reason, criticisms have been lodged against the practice of naming unindicted co-conspirators in an indictment. The courts have struck down with strong language efforts by grand juries to accuse persons of crime while affording them no forum in which to vindicate themselves. Our obstruction of justice inquiry focused on a series of actions by the president that related to the Russian interference investigations, including the president's conduct towards the law enforcement officials overseeing the investigations and the witnesses to relevant events. The key issues and events we examined include the following. The campaign's response to reports about Russian support for Trump. During the 2016 presidential campaign, questions arose about the Russian government's apparent support for candidate Trump. After WikiLeaks released politically damaging Democratic Party emails that were reported to have been hacked by Russia, Trump publicly expressed skepticism that Russia was responsible for the hacks at the same time that he and other campaign officials privately sought information about any further planned WikiLeaks releases. Trump also denied having any business in or connections to Russia, even though as late as June 2016 the Trump Organization had been pursuing a licensing deal for a skyscraper to be built in Russia called Trump Tower Moscow. After the election, the president expressed concerns to advisors that reports of Russia's election interference might lead the public to question the legitimacy of his election. Conduct involving FBI Director Comey and Michael Flynn this free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. In mid-January 2017, incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn falsely denied to the Vice President, other administration officials, and FBI agents that he had talked to Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislak about Russia's response to U.S. sanctions on Russia for its election interference. On January 27, the day after the president was told that Flynn had lied to the vice president and had made similar statements to the FBI, the president invited FBI Director Corney to a private dinner at the White House and told Corney that he needed loyalty. On February 14, the day after the president requested Flynn's resignation, the president told an outside advisor, now that we fired Flynn, the Russia thing is over. The advisor disagreed and said the investigations would continue. Later that afternoon, the president cleared the Oval Office to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Corny. Referring to the FBI's investigation of Flynn, the president said, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. T hope you can let this go. Shortly after requesting Flynn's resignation and speaking privately to Corny, the president sought to have Deputy National Security Advisor K.T. McFarland draft an internal letter stating that the president had not directed Flynn to discuss sanctions with Kislak. McFarland declined because she did not know whether that was true, and a White House counsel's office attorney thought that the request would look like a quid pro quo for an ambassadorship she had been offered. The president's reaction to the continuing Russia investigation. TN February 2017, Attorney General Jeff Sessions began to assess whether he had to recuse himself from campaign-related investigations because of his role in the Trump campaign. TN Early March, the president told White House counsel Donald McGahn to stop Sessions from recusing. And after Sessions announced his recusal on March 2, the president expressed anger at the decision and told advisors that he should have an attorney general who would protect him. 
That weekend, the president took Sessions aside at an event and urged him to unrecuse. Later in March, Corney publicly disclosed at a congressional hearing that the FBI was investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, including any links or coordination between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. In the following days, the president reached out to the director of national intelligence and the leaders of the Central Intelligence Agency CIA, and the National Security Agency NSA, to ask them what they could do to publicly dispel the suggestion that the president had any connection to the Russian election interference effort. The president also twice called Corny directly, notwithstanding guidance from McGahn to avoid direct contacts with the Department of Justice. Corney had previously assured the president that the FBI was not investigating him personally, and the president asked Corney to lift the cloud of the Russia investigation by saying that publicly. The president's termination of Comey. On May 3, 2017, Corney testified in a congressional hearing, but declined to answer questions about whether the president was personally under investigation. Within days, the president decided to terminate Corney. The president insisted that the termination letter, which was written for public release, state that Corney had informed the president that he was not under investigation. The day of the firing, the White House maintained that Corney's termination resulted from independent recommendations from the Attorney General and Deputy Attorney General that Corney should be discharged for mishandling the Hillary Clinton email investigation. But the president had decided to fire Corney before hearing from the Department of Justice. The day after firing Corny, the president told Russian officials that he had faced great pressure because of Russia, which had been taken off by Corny's firing. The next day, the president acknowledged in a television interview that he was going to fire Corny regardless of the Department of Justice's recommendation and that when he decided to just do it, he was thinking that this thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. In response to a question about whether he was angry with Corny about the Russia investigation, the president said, as far as I'm concerned, I want that thing to be absolutely done properly, adding that firing Corny might even lengthen out the investigation. The appointment OFA special counsel and efforts to remove him. On May 17, 2017, the acting attorney general for the Russia investigation appointed a special counsel to conduct the investigation and related matters. The president reacted to news that a special counsel had been appointed by telling advisers that it was the end of his presidency and demanding that Sessions resign. Sessions submitted his resignation, but the president ultimately did not accept it. The president told aides that the special counsel had conflicts of interest and suggested that the special counsel therefore could not serve. The president's advisers told him the asserted conflicts were meritless and had already been considered by the Department of Justice. On June 14, 2017, the media reported that the special counsel's office was investigating whether the president had obstructed justice. Press reports called this a major turning point in the investigation, while Corny had told the president he was not under investigation, following Corny's firing, the president now was under investigation. The president reacted to this news with a series of tweets criticizing the Department of Justice and the special counsel's investigation. On June 17, 2017, the president called McGahn at home and directed him to call the acting attorney general and say that the special counsel had conflicts of interest and must be removed. McGahn did not carry out the direction, however, deciding that he would resign rather than trigger what he regarded as a potential Saturday night massacre. Efforts to curtail the special counsel's investigation. 
Two days after directing McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president made another attempt to affect the course of the Russia investigation. On June 19, 2017, the president met one-on-one -on -one in the Oval Office with his former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, a trusted advisor outside the government, and dictated a message for Lewandowski to deliver to Sessions. The message said that Sessions should publicly announce that, notwithstanding his recusal from the Russia investigation, the investigation was very unfair to the president, the president had done nothing wrong, and Sessions planned to meet with the special counsel and let him move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections. Lewandowski said he understood what the president wanted Sessions to do. One month later, in another private meeting with Lewandowski on July 19, 2017, the president asked about the status of his message for Sessions to limit the special counsel investigation to future election interference. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Hours after that meeting, the president publicly criticized Sessions in an interview with the New York Times, and then issued a series of tweets making it clear that Sessions's job was in jeopardy. Lewandowski did not want to deliver the president's message personally, so he asked senior White House official Rick Dearborn to deliver it to Sessions. Dearborn was uncomfortable with the task and did not follow through. Efforts to prevent public disclosure of evidence. In the summer of 2017, the president learned that media outlets were asking questions about the June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower between senior campaign officials, including Donald Trump Jr., and a Russian lawyer who was said to be offering damaging information about Hillary Clinton as part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. On several occasions, the president directed aides not to publicly disclose the emails setting up the June 9 meeting, suggesting that the emails would not leak and that the number of lawyers with access to them should be limited. Before the emails became public, the president edited a press statement for Trump Jr. by deleting a line that acknowledged that the meeting was with an individual who Trump Jr. was told might have information helpful to the campaign and instead said only that the meeting was about adoptions of Russian children. When the press asked questions about the president's involvement in Trump Jr.'s statement, the president's personal lawyer repeatedly denied the president had played any role. Further efforts to have the attorney general take control of the investigation. In early summer 2017, the president called Sessions at home and again asked him to reverse his recusal from the Russia investigation. Sessions did not reverse his recusal. In October 2017, the president met privately with Sessions in the Oval Office and asked him to take a look at investigating Clinton. In December 2017, shortly after Flynn pleaded guilty pursuant to a cooperation agreement, the president met with Sessions in the Oval Office and suggested, according to notes taken by a senior advisor, that if Sessions unrecused and took back supervision of the Russia investigation, he would be a hero. The president told Sessions, I'm not going to do anything or direct you to do anything. I just want to be treated fairly. In response, Sessions volunteered that he had never seen anything improper on the campaign and told the president there was a whole new leadership team in place. He did not unrecuse. Efforts to have McGahn deny that the president had ordered him to have the special counsel removed. This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. In early 2018, the press reported that the president had directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed in June 2017 and that McGahn had threatened to resign rather than carry out the order. 
The president reacted to the news stories by directing White House officials to tell McGahn to dispute the story and create a record stating he had not been ordered to have the special counsel removed. McGahn told those officials that the media reports were accurate in stating that the president had directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed. The president then met with McGahn in the Oval Office and again pressured him to deny the reports. In the same meeting, the president also asked McGahn why he had told the special counsel about the president's effort to remove the special counsel and why McGahn took notes of his conversations with the president. McGahn refused to back away from what he remembered happening and perceived the president to be testing his mettle. Conduct towards Flynn, Manafort. After Flynn withdrew from a joint defense agreement with the president and began cooperating with the government, the president's personal counsel left a message for Flynn's attorneys reminding them of the president's warm feelings towards Flynn, which he said still remains, and asking for a heads-up if Flynn knew information that implicates the president. When Flynn's counsel reiterated that Flynn could no longer share information pursuant to a joint defense agreement, the president's personal counsel said he would make sure that the president knew that Flynn's actions reflected hostility towards the president. During Manafort's prosecution and when the jury in his criminal trial was deliberating, the president praised Manafort in public, said that Manafort was being treated unfairly, and declined to rule out a pardon. After Manafort was convicted, the president called Manafort a brave man for refusing to break and said that Flynn almost ought to be. Conduct involving Michael Cohen The president's conduct towards Michael Cohen, a former Trump Organization executive, changed from praise for Cohen when he falsely minimized the president's involvement in the Trump Tower Moscow project, to castigation of Cohen when he became a cooperating witness. From September 2015 to June 2016, Cohen had pursued the Trump Tower Moscow project on behalf of the Trump Organization and had briefed candidate Trump on the project numerous times, including discussing whether Trump should travel to Russia to advance the deal. In 2017, Cohen provided false testimony to Congress about the project, including stating that he had only briefed Trump on the project three times and never discussed travel to Russia with him, in an effort to adhere to a party line that Cohen said was developed to minimize the president's connections to Russia. While preparing for his congressional testimony, Cohen had extensive discussions with the president's personal counsel, who, according to Cohen, said that Cohen should stay on message and not contradict the president. After the FBI searched Cohen's home and office in April 2018, the president publicly asserted that Cohen would not flip, contacted him directly to tell him to stay strong, and privately passed messages of support to him. Cohen also discussed pardons with the president's personal counsel and believed that if he stayed on message he would be taken care of. But after Cohen began cooperating with the government in the summer of 2018, the president publicly criticized him, called him a rat, and suggested that his family members had committed crimes. Overarching factual issues. We did not make a traditional prosecution decision about these facts, but the evidence we obtained supports several general statements about the president's conduct. Several features of the conduct we investigated distinguish it from typical obstruction of justice cases. First, the investigation concerned the president, and some of his actions, such as firing the FBI director, involved facially lawful acts within his Article II authority, which raises constitutional issues discussed below. 
At the same time, the president's position as the head of the executive branch provided him with unique and powerful means of influencing official proceedings, subordinate officers, and potential witnesses all of which is relevant to a potential obstruction of justice analysis. Second, unlike cases in which a subject engages in obstruction of justice to cover up a crime, the evidence we obtained did not establish that the president was involved in an underlying crime related to Russian election interference. Although the obstruction statutes do not require proof of such a crime, the absence of that evidence affects the analysis of the president's intent and requires consideration of other possible motives for his conduct. Third, many of the president's acts directed at witnesses, including discouragement of cooperation with the government and suggestions of possible future pardons, took place in public view. That circumstance is unusual, but no principle of law excludes public acts from the reach of the obstruction laws. If the likely effect of public acts is to influence witnesses or alter their testimony, the harm to the justice system's integrity is the same. Although the series of events we investigated involved discrete acts, the overall pattern of the president's conduct towards the investigations can shed light on the nature of the president's acts and the inferences that can be drawn about his intent. In particular, the actions we investigated can be divided into two phases, reflecting a possible shift in the president's motives. The first phase covered the period from the president's first interactions with Corny through the president's firing of Corny. During that time, the president had been repeatedly told he was not personally under investigation. Soon after the firing of Corny and the appointment of the special counsel, however, the president became aware that his own conduct was being investigated in an obstruction of justice inquiry. At that point, the president engaged in a second phase of conduct, involving public attacks on the investigation, non-public efforts to control it, and efforts in both public and private to encourage witnesses not to cooperate with the investigation. Judgments about the nature of the president's motives during each phase would be informed by the totality of the evidence. The President's counsel raised statutory and constitutional defenses to a possible obstruction of justice analysis of the conduct we investigated. We concluded that none of those legal defenses provided a basis for declining to investigate the facts. Statutory defenses Consistent with precedent and the Department of Justice's general approach to interpreting obstruction statutes, we concluded that several statutes could apply here. C-18 U.S.C. 1503, 1505, 1512-B-3, 1512-C-2. Section 1512-C-2 is an omnibus obstruction of justice provision that covers a range of obstructive acts directed at pending or contemplated official proceedings. No principle of statutory construction justifies narrowing the provision to cover only conduct that impairs the integrity or availability of evidence. Sections 1503 and 1505 also offer broad protection against obstructive acts directed at pending grand jury, judicial, administrative, and congressional proceedings, and they are supplemented by a provision in Section 1512 6, aimed specifically at conduct intended to prevent or hinder the communication to law enforcement of information related to a federal crime. Constitutional Defenses as for constitutional defenses arising from the president's status as the head of the executive branch, we recognize that the Department of Justice and the courts have not definitively resolved these issues. We therefore examined those issues through the framework established by Supreme Court precedent governing separation of powers issues. 
The Department of Justice and the President's Personal Counsel have recognized that the President is subject to statutes that prohibit obstruction of justice by bribing a witness or suborning perjury because that conduct does not implicate his constitutional authority. With respect to whether the President C.A.N. be found to have obstructed justice by exercising his powers under Article II of the Constitution, we concluded that Congress has authority to prohibit a President's corrupt use of his authority in order to protect the integrity of the administration of justice. Under applicable Supreme Court precedent, the Constitution does not categorically and permanently immunize a President for obstructing justice through the use of his Article II powers. The separation of powers doctrine authorizes Congress to protect official proceedings, including those of courts and grand juries, from corrupt, obstructive acts regardless of their source. We also concluded that any inroad on presidential authority that would occur from prohibiting corrupt acts does not undermine the president's ability to fulfill his constitutional mission. The term corruptly sets a demanding standard. It requires a concrete showing that a person acted with an intent to obtain an improper advantage for himself or someone else, inconsistent with official duty and the rights of others. A preclusion of corrupt official action does not diminish the president's ability to exercise Article II powers. For example, the proper supervision of criminal law does not demand freedom for the president to act with a corrupt intention of shielding himself from criminal punishment, avoiding financial liability, or preventing personal embarrassment. To the contrary, a statute that prohibits official action undertaken for such corrupt purposes furthers, rather than hinders, the impartial and even-handed administration of the law. It also aligns with the president's constitutional duty to faithfully execute the laws. Finally, we concluded that in the rare case in which a criminal investigation of the president's conduct is justified, inquiries to determine whether the president acted for a corrupt motive should not impermissibly chill his performance of his constitutionally assigned duties. The conclusion that Congress may apply the obstruction laws to the president's corrupt exercise of the powers of office accords with our constitutional system of checks and balances and the principle that no person is above the law. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something, you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently for You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not yes, we can. what your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your five poor little children. Yes, we can. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. He wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad.
on Twitter Apple Podcasts for Stitcher Smart Radio Potable and more Yes we can Public Access America History in the Making Making History in the Making Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 